Hello, and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, episode 28. I'm your host, Kamran Shushtar, and with me hosting is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. Happy 2022, everybody. We are back. Whoa. Yes, class is back in session. Um, Yeah, we had to take a break. <laughs> we did a lot of podcasting last year. Holy crap, dude. <laughs> yeah, there are <laughs> a lot of Kit Kats that we had to break off, you know, to get through this. So... This started like a little later. Also, I I had gotten COVID um, kind of mid-month when we had planned to like jump back onto it. And luckily, I didn't have like bad COVID. I, I literally wouldn't have known unless I got tested. But it was one of those things. I just had like headaches. And then like I didn't have a sore throat, but I had like mucus in my throat that I was coughing up. And it, I just, it just sucked to talk. So I just didn't want to. We haven't done any podcasts, you know. So that that was a big factor of just things getting thrown off was I had to like rest for a week, week and a half pretty much, and then jump back onto this. So that was weird. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I, I have friends that have gotten hit, like even, you know, in El Paso, like it's spiking like crazy because the Omicron variant and people just don't give a fuck anymore, basically. And I mean, to an extent, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But... Uh, I have like friends that got it like and I guess they got Delta because they were having breathing issues like all sorts of stuff and me and I found out my brother and his family got it too but they all just same thing as me just like very mild flu not even flu cold like symptoms where you're just like I can shake this off you know what I mean you're very functional I had energy I was just doing my daily thing every single day you know I was totally fine until I was just like yeah, I'm just gonna get tested just to find out I both I had COVID. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, honestly, like over December and half of January, like more than a dozen people I know throughout the country just got COVID. It was crazy. Yeah, insane. Um, yeah, I'm still good. I'm still good. Um, at least if I ever got it, it was like early on, and I never knew it was like one of those asymptomatic things, which I I don't I don't think I've gotten it. But you know, um, that that's exactly what I thought. Like I really, it felt like you know, I, I think it's weird because once I found out I got it. Then I started feeling worse. I guess my brain just like triggered it or something. And I realized like, oh, I'm sick. I should probably just rest and not be working out and like going crazy on stuff. But I I really wouldn't have known if I unless I got tested. So, you know, any listener out there, if you just feel like a little little weird, just go get tested. Like do it. I know it might be hard in some places. It's hard here. I have a hookup. Well, also, you can order the tests free now. Uh, That's right. A certain amount per house. I think it's like up to four per household. But yeah, it's kind of stupid. Uh, you can definitely something. do that. Yeah, just go on the government website for the country, I'm pretty sure, and you could do it. So, Comrade's going to put free. a link below for you I'm guys not, to go to. I'm get. not going to do that. Actually, I could actually do that. Good. Um, I could do that. And maybe I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that. And then I'm going to put a tip fee if you guys want to. <laughs> <laughs> donations, yeah, please. <laughs> so here's my Venmo. <laughs> But uh, sure. so we're you know we're we're back we're we're you know uh, we have our next episode which hopefully will come out shortly after this if not I might want to do extra research that I had planned before we do it but today we are kicking we're kickstarting this new year with a Spike Lee movie More Better Blues and yes. man not only is this a totally different movie than we have watched over the last twenty seven movies. But it was just phenomenal. I felt like I I'm gonna kickstart it with that. Just like I loved it, start to finish, all two hours of it. Man, I thought it was just so well put together. Yeah, it's no it's no THX eleven thirty eight, but it's sounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's really good. You know, written directed by Spike Lee. This came out in nineteen ninety, so you yeah. know, a year before my birth. And on a like a ten million dollar budget, and you know, you think about movies at that time, they were all like forty, fifty million dollar movies. So this was a very kind of unique, almost like, I mean, it's a it's a level up from like an art film. You know what I mean? From yeah. like the the budget and everything, and you know the 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 story, the drama of the story that's going on in it. And the movie starts out in the '60s, and I want to say majority of it takes place. What in the early eighties it looked like? Yeah, that's what I felt too. So, yeah, yeah, sometime in the eighties. Yeah, so it's about a a jazz band that's can just kind of like the story of a jazz musician, uh, Bleak, played by Denzel Washington, and this was Denzel's first role with 
the spike. Before his other roles with Spike Lee, which we will yeah. potentially, you know, Malcolm X later on this month or pretty much next week or something because it's already the end of January. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, what was the other one? Uh, I know if I saw him. Um... Wesley Snipes? Spike Lee. He got game. Spike Lee is in it too. He got game. That was his other one too. Malcolm X came out. Oh, you're talking about the other movies. Okay. I was like, oh, the other guys in the movie? Like this one? No, yeah, for sure. I I know he's done a few other ones, but this was like kind of. This is interesting. So before we get into the movie, before we get into them, I don't know if you want to cover this now or if you want to cover at the end of the discussion, but we said that we're going to start talking about like the armature of the film, like what it is at its core that like. You know, whenever the film strays, you know what it's what it's coming back to and everything. I was curious. I don't know if you want me to go first, or if you want to do it first, or save it for the end of the episode. Um, uh, we could we could start it here, and you can go first. Go go right ahead. So, you know, the armature for this for me was it's it's a story about what happens when you become obsessed to what the heck. Why Your audio just stopped. The microphone just changed. That's weird. We'll find out if that's working. Um. <laughs> What the heck? All right, cool. No, we're good. I, I just got like a, a notification on my screen saying it switched to my AirPods. And I was like, no. Yeah, I was like, all of a sudden, you're like, the armature is. And then it just went blank. And I'm like, wow, what a, what a, <laughs> yeah, just what really a serendipitous. Turn off my Bluetooth just in case that gets wild. But the armature for me, I felt was just like, what happens to someone who becomes so obsessed with their profession that they forget about life and they forget about, what's going on in the world around them and how to live outside of their profession. You know, he's so obsessed with playing his instrument and to the point where, you know, there's scenes where the girls are fighting with him and he's just blocked out the world and completely immersed in the song that he's writing in playing his trumpet. Nothing else affects him and he can just have that and be happy. And it's when he loses that, when he loses the girls, he's okay. But when he loses the ability to play later on, spoilers, it, it you could tell that's where everything went wrong. And that's when he lost his profession and had to like really realize what he thought about life and what he wanted out of life and what there still was. So really just what, you know, somebody that becomes so obsessed with their uh, profession that they lose track of life. I thought the armature was just owing money. But that's, you know, well, I'm just yeah, kidding. No, I, I completely too, yeah. agree. Uh, no, for sure. I definitely see that. And you get the full, like, early on. That's why they show the 60s as a kid, what starts it off and what forces into it. Because, yo, Blake, I... yo, Blake, get out here. <laughs> that was the best way to kick started. Oh, <laughs> he can't come out there. Ah! It's just it's so good. That's that was the most spikely part. Was just, yeah, ah! yeah, yeah. <laughs> fucking, um, I honestly, I bet that's in every movie somewhere. Because I'm just thinking of Black Klansmen when they're in the the they're in the precinct, and he's like, "You can't proceed with this investigation." They're like, "Ah, fucking!" <laughs> it's the same thing. But anyway, um, I see like the reason why they do the beginning in the '60s as a kid you see it's not really necessarily him becoming over obsessive well it is but i mean like it doesn't start with him wanting to be over obsessive he's kind of forced into it by his parents and because they work him so much into it they condition him to be that kind of person and he grows with it till it takes over completely and you know you see that from the beginning all the way to the end and like the cycle kind of breaking which i do want to talk about but i don't know if we want to talk about that part now or later because you know that's more of like the end of the movie itself um the feeling though of him just seeing his priorities where it's like my music and just caring about my music to these women i have pretty much at the same time and now you know it's getting worse and worse as it goes his band itself which you know you could kind of argue whether or not the band or the music is more or the band or the girls are more important to him after his music itself or i guess the needs of his band 
and then of course his best friend who's also his manager who is also not a very good manager yeah, uh, yeah which yeah. uh is the you know his best friend who's manager is played his name is giant but it's, he's played by spike lee it's and ironically short. as giant he is the sm- shortest character in the film like that, mm-hmm. that's just like the funniest thing where he could easily get pummeled by any other person in the film uh and there are some comedic outrageous things that happened to him just specifically the car door opened what? Yeah. I, was like, I was like why am i watching fresh prince now what's yeah. happening um but like you you see his full journey going through and things are getting worse and worse for him because you, you see like everything's already established mm-hmm. and he's at his pinnacle and piece by piece you're, you're seeing everything unwind and like you said until He's losing everything until he has his main priority. And because he's betted on this one thing, once that one thing is taken away, he's just obliterated Mm -hmm. to a near point of no return until he then reprioritizes himself and literally begs someone to save him, uh, which is the one thing that does save him. Yeah, Uh, you're right. And you're you're totally kind of spaced that part out. He did beg her to save him begged her to save him like and he knew like without that he had nothing else that was his deal so is your your idea of the armature is like the conditioning you have as a child can shape your outcome in the future very much so it it, it's obviously you know going to be a case-by-case basis but it really is like what can really happen to you that will change everything going forward and it's everything Mm -hmm. from this could be anything like for in his instance it is straight up just his parents overconditioned him to do this one thing where then everything else came second to it to a very big fault whereas you know in other things it could be trauma yeah. from something you know uh a pedophile or some shit you know what i'm saying like yeah. it, that kind of thing that affects them going forward for the rest of their lives and that's what i saw was the armature was just like that childhood root then taking over and everything else being uh just a part of that journey yeah that uh, no I, that's an amazing observation i really dig that um i really i really like that point of view because you're absolutely right it's it's the upbringing and when you think about people and how we are and how we behave it's it's what comes from our upbringing and what we are taught or traumatized by uh, really traumatized by <laughs> more yeah, than actually, anything yeah i can even relate to it like um as a kid as a very little kid, look, when I was three, my family, like we went to the a beach and my dad tried to get me to swim and I was so afraid. I was afraid because I never did it before. You know, yeah. one of those things where I feel like even as a fucking one year old, you should just throw the kid in the water. But uh, I just freaked out once and then they never tried again for a long time. And because of that, I never learned to swim. And then I became fearful of being like I, I'd go in the water, but I was fearful of doing anything that would require me to swim because I didn't know how. Oh. And that one thing from my childhood screwed me up to where, like, instead, if I had been like, oh, you know, if they tried a little bit more, I could swim like anyone else normally. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Which now I can to an extent, but I'm still really bad at it. But at least I can move around in the water a little bit. So, yeah. But this that is that true. is an example, at least for me personally. That's cool. That's super interesting. Um, and I know you could kind of swim. Cause I've seen you in a pool. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. I'll be it slowly, um, but surely. I was, I, I was forced to learn how to swim cause I got a job as a lifeguard. I don't know how, I didn't know I was applying for a lifeguard position cause I was at a hotel and I thought I you were do doing like, tax accounting and they're like, something, no, we need a anything. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Literally my first question was like, so uh, tell me what you think the responsibilities of a lifeguard are. And I just, that, that day I knew I'd be a writer cause I was just fucking came up with everything i went to the i went to this movie theater and they asked if i could be a good lifeguard and i was just trying to apply to be a writer at this movie theater yeah. like what <laughs> i should have been like have you seen jaws like <laughs> this is even though i hadn't seen jaws yet which we'll watch soon this year um that's interesting those are cool points for the armature i really it kind of sets your whole mindset up for the film and you kind of yeah it's something we could bounce back to onto why and you, I feel like you explained it really well. That's this is our first time we're doing this, and we'll yeah. be doing this all year. Um, because me as a writer, like that's that's what I'm trying to focus more on. So it's kind of more of a, a lesson for me. And you're just an intelligent guy, <laughs> which I I do want to point out. Like uh, this idea came from you. Like you wanted to integrate this in, which I thought was a great idea. But this is this is definitely your 
creation here uh, as part of it. This is, but this is I will my say segment. it will take time. Yeah, <laughs> it, it will take time getting used to because when I hear it, I just think armchair. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, this is what I thought about. I'm like, I don't have this. This chair doesn't have any arms. I don't know what the fuck you want from me, man. You know, like I can't rest my arms anywhere. <laughs> I will. I will give credit to Brian McDonald, who coined that term armature, um, because he used to work. He's a writer. He's a screen uh, a filmmaker and everything. Um, and he's a screenwriter in specific in comics. But he, he used to work like with like monster mass. And so he knew that the frame that the they build the mold on um that's called the armature and so you you know when you're building a, a mask like that parts fall off things happen you know it gets damaged but as long as that frame is there you can always repair it and you know what direction you're going in because you have the solid frame and so the foundation he, if you will yeah the foundation and that's why he calls it you know the armature is the most important thing because like when you're writing a story and you start to stray and or you get lost you look at the frame of the story and be like, that's where, that's what this is about. And that's where you re-guide your story back into, or you adjust to it. And I just think it's a really brilliant way of uh, explaining, you know, the, the, not just, you know, theme is like, and theme isn't necessarily one word, but like, you know, this is a lot of film about loyalty. This is a film about friendship, about what it's like being in a band. Um, Cause, and I've been in a band. I, I've, it's a very, it's a very treacherous, thing <laughs> you know it gets very difficult especially when your band is playing a lot and you know making progress you know in a successful way and it just seems like a lot of fun with your friends and it seems like just a, a cool thing to do at a certain point but you know being in a van with five dudes uh over traveling across the country and having to work together financially and do stuff for the show and still have fun and you know a play properly so you don't sound like shit and you do your job and it and you know i, I used to play in a, a very progressive metal band like this was very intricate like <laughs> intense. oh so you guys talked about the environment yes yeah yeah okay, very we'll good yeah. right, very nice i like that <laughs> and and you know i i mean i had a six string bass and like all this stuff and i was always incorporating techniques like it was very complex which is why you know i, I kind of love the jazz connection to that because i could tell no matter what you have to go in and put on a show, no matter yeah. what you have to hit every note as perfectly and accurately as you can and entertain too, you know? Um, so that's a big aspect of this film is what happens. And you have Denzel Washington and Wesley Snipes, and they are in this band together, kind of the forefront of the horn section. You know, we have our, our winds, our saxophone and tenor and all that. And then you have Wesley uh, on the trumpet. I mean, uh, Denzel on the uh, trumpet. And so it, dude, you have two stars in the same band. And that's why it's like having two bulls in a ring, just going at it. Like you got, yeah, two, it's uh, it's one of those things where it goes with any form of alpha, where if you got yes. two alphas, the eventually one is going to have to leave or, you know, something like that's going to happen. It's actually one thing. I think the one time I learned that was some documentary or something where the adolescent male lion was growing up enough where the adult male lion and the pride was like, all right, get the fuck out now. And uh, it was like that kind of thing, which not all lions are like that, but it was an example that stuck with me mm -hmm. and it just works in all these different things. And this is just another version of that, which yeah. Wesley Snipes is like, you know, I'm a saxophone player and people love what I do and they have different creative ideals where Wesley Snipes wants to play for the audience what they want and mm -hmm. like, whereas Denzel is like, I'm going to play what I believe is good and they'll like it either way. Yeah. I'm not playing for them. I'm playing for me and they're just here to listen to me play. Yeah, exactly. And it's two really interesting perspectives because those are very two different type of people that exist. Like those are very real. You know, you have the people that do cover bands and then you have the people who just want to play their own original music. And yeah. I'm not saying that like Wesley was trying to just play covers. He was doing his original stuff, but that's like a very understandable way to explain it. Like, you know what's going to make you money and get you shows week after week, week after week, and you have a guaranteed gig, or you're going to just pour your heart out and hope that somebody understands it enough to have you back week after week and that the audience understands you enough and digs it enough to keep you coming back week after week. Yeah. And uh, just being an astonishing songwriter too. Oh yeah. You know, and like, 
the interesting thing here too is because I, I feel like there's like four or five different topics or subtopics in my head that i'm like which one do i talk about yeah. first because they're all like each one's sort of related but i'm like oh i gotta wait for these ones uh one thing i want to point out is at least what i perceive that spike lee did when he was naming these characters at least the three main characters which is bleak shadow and giant is they all have a, a meaning of the name behind the names that they each mm -hmm. have where like we already said for spike lee's own character giant you know, he ironically is the shortest guy there and he has the smallest voice in the room where he can't really get much done to the, you know, it's his own, one of his two undoings by the end of it that is just one, the other, yeah. which we'll get to. But uh, Bleak, Denzel Washington's character, it always feels like things are going to be like, it literally feels like things are bleak without the trumpet. Like mm -hmm. he, things become bleak for him and just that thought there i'm like shit this name is really being put to use like as things progress and he starts losing things one by one to the point where he has nothing and everything looks completely bleak for him yeah. like pun intended like it, that's how it goes whereas uh wesley snap's character shadow um he is in bleak shadow for most of the movie and he wants to branch out and no longer be a shadow that's yeah. like another big thing of the character and like watching it the whole time i'm like wow like these names are very like he's not really trying to hide the meaning behind these names they're very straightforward mm -hmm. and easy to analyze and just like comprehend so that was you know very interesting and i honestly like i can't remember the names of the other bandmates like uh the drummer I, the the bass player like uh we have Jing, uh john carlo or giancarlo i always forget how to say his name but esposito you know he oh, plays left hand lacy the pianist uh yeah uh robin harris is butterbean jones and i believe uh bill nunn is bottom hammer and those are like all the main guys and then uh, uh jeff tane watts was rhythm jones the drummer um oh, okay hammer uh bill nunn bottom hammer he was the bass player yeah and then uh esposito was uh, like i said the the piano player dude Phenomenal cast, though. Like, you look oh, at some very of these so. actors and where they are today, and all of them are like, holy fuck, you guys are all like... Specifically, Giancarlo Esposito is, like... He's the big thing right now. He's, he's, a, he's a selling point. You see his name on something, and you want to go see it. Like, honestly, he's in, he's the main villain and the big face of the game Far Cry 6, and yes. I almost bought the game just for him because of him same and same. i'm like oh wait it's a ubisoft game and i already have like enough open world games hang on stop nice try you almost got yeah. me yeah but no, yeah, yeah. no nah, i'm not falling for it <laughs> it came out a year later maybe i would <laughs> or a yeah year it, before. It, you know if it ubisoft games are coming to game pass well, i'll get yeah. it for free later anyway it's all right <laughs> yeah, for real. um but he's really big uh one person that took me out of the movie like giancarlo Esposito, like kept me in the film mm. the one guy that literally made me not think of the movie and just think of him was all of a sudden, which you, you know who I'm about to say, yeah. Charlie Murphy shows up. And the first thing I think, I'm just like, ah, oh, Charlie Murphy. Yes. And I'm like, Chappelle show instantly. And I'm like, Charlie, Charlie's here. And, uh, you know, rest in peace to him. I still can't believe he's oh gone. Like, my that, gosh, that's such a sad right. thought that he's gone. But um, I that's totally why I get forgot he passed away. Yeah. You that's can, why, I, I can't like, imagine. I don't know. All right, yeah, go on. Yeah. Wait, Prince right. is still alive, right? Or is, did Prince pass away too? Prince is dead as fuck, man. Shit. And then Rick James. Him. Literally, everyone from all the Chappelle Show stories are gone. Oh my god, I just realized that. <laughs> oh that's my god, really sad. Yeah. But th like, that's the point. Like Charlie Murphy, anytime he shows up in anything, I get really excited. Uh, and he's in this as the club's bouncer or one of the bouncers at the club. Uh -huh. even though he doesn't do his job uh, he just, <laughs> yeah. by the end of the movie you're literally like you ruined this man's career because he didn't get involved good job yes uh, but uh you know he's in it and i i honestly have i've never i don't think i've ever seen him in a, a movie role like i should look up to see maybe if i have but i i feel like seeing him on the screen right now i was like finally like you did do stuff I, it wasn't just a joke like you were in the industry like uh, i think he's in night at the museum He's a cab driver because oh they show gosh. the the museum animals walking by, and he's like, "I hope they got someone to clean up all that doogie <laughs> from the elephant or something." And I'm like, "Oh, it's Charlie Murphy. <laughs> he's a cab oh driver." My gosh. <laughs> 
he's also, I think, in Black Jesus, that adult swim show. He's like the landlord that keeps giving Jesus shit. Oh my say. gosh, that's hilarious. I never watched that show really, but I just remember him giving him shit. That's Dude, it. <laughs> this was actually only his second movie. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, obviously, like he he came after Eddie Murphy, who at that time, you know, Eddie Murphy's a big comedian and an actor at the same time. I mm-hmm. believe Beverly Hills Cop is already kicked off among other things and then eventually you know things get a little down you know we get nutty professor and other shit but like uh he he has a lot of big roles and uh charlie murphy comes in with that i don't really know how he started maybe it was just because of his brother but either way like uh i I guess i feel like eddie murphy's in so many things that i always expect everything i expect from him whereas charlie murphy it feels like more of a treat yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah uh but uh another thing about the movie which i thought was i guess very prevalent if not the most consistent thing was the music whereas they're they're playing it and it's going on as they play which we get multiple scenes of them performing Mm -hmm. but in between the different activities that you see bleak go do whether it's uh playing baseball uh riding his bike seeing girls and stuff uh is the blues or jazz music i honestly wasn't sure i think it was blues was it blues or jazz oh, it was all jazz playing. Yeah, yeah. it was all jazz okay it's like it's still happening throughout the film it's mm-hmm. just very it's like there it's present and you hear it and you're kind of enjoying yourself just watching it feels like just a day at the park or a day on the street riding your bike and you're just enjoying this music watching whatever is going to go on with this yep yeah, yeah. It, it uh the music was you know not only awesome but uh, it's funny because Wesley and Denzel, like they weren't playing their instruments, like. It, but but they did so much training and so many rehearsals where they had of to just learn practicing the hand movements, the fingerings and everything, because they had people tell them like, you know, if you're playing a high note and then your hand is away at the low part, like it's not gonna people are gonna call you out right away. And even with their movements, like sometimes Wesley was like moving around a little too much and they're like, Hey, Hey, hey a horn player is not going to move around like that. No matter how, how awesome, like just tone it down a bit to like, make sure you're, I mean, you're vibing, but you're not like doing something a horn player wouldn't be able to do while playing that kind yeah. of music and whatnot. Cause you know, it's all, you know, uh, omniter with your lips and you know, uh, oxygen and air. And it's funny. I used to play trombone. So for like five years. And so I just watching their devotion to the instrument and what they were like doing and like their movements, I was watching just to see how onto it, you know, cause I would watch other players and everything. And it, it's so, it's so dead on. Like they, they kind of learned the movements of the music. So you could tell which notes they were playing and everything. Yeah. And like the interesting thing about this too is, you know, everyone acts, but it's, cool watching this because not only are they acting like any other actor but they are acting with their hands besides just their uh vocalization and it's interesting they have to study and practice and know the the script of just the movement of the instruments which i thought was very interesting that's very true Uh, i didn't think about that aspect that's that's even more on top of their craft which you know like that's the thing actors like that i see why they make like big money you know yeah like that, that is, and you see Denzel on stage when he's doing that kind of like freeform, kind of like almost poetry jazz bit talking about love and everything and his performance there. Like Denzel is an actor. He is a drama actor essentially. And for him to go on and put on the shoes of a musician that's there to entertain and capture and move and all this stuff, like, and he does it so well, you're just like, fuck, no wonder you're like one of the greats. Like, oh yeah yeah like it's mind-blowing how well denzel's performances through the whole movie like ah i just i couldn't believe it i was blown away by you know i don't know i'm not too sure how many movies denzel did before this one but it being one of the first spike lee ones i think it's one of his first films in general because i know spike lee was a big reason why he started to get real big uh oh 1990 so he did oh he's done a fuck ton of movies carbon copy soldier story power the georgia mckenna story cry freedom cry freedom for queen and country mighty quinn glory and heart condition yeah so he was he was in a good amount of stuff before he not too much like he pretty much started in 1977 with like a tv movie it shows um and it was like so basically 13 years later we got this 
He has his own version of License to Kill TV movie. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I would say before this movie, I mean, like of, of that era, uh, if you ask anyone out of all those, you know, the one I'm going to know about is Glory. The yeah, Civil I was just War thinking of that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, me too. Yeah. Which actually would be a great movie to cover eventually too now that I think about it. But uh, yeah, like out of all those, like I don't think I've seen any other of those movies but like ones that i feel like will probably be really good or like they seem like just by looking at the picture of the the like the poster is probably something like cry freedom or uh honestly yeah for queen and country a soldier's yeah. story etc but yeah and one last thing for like the hand movements and stuff i think the the thing that makes it feel real and the fact that they're acting so well in their hands is the of uh, the alternative is the thing that like the trope i've always despised which is like the hacker trope mm -hmm. the you're like oh i'm gonna hack into the thing and just see them typing away at the keyboard acting like they're doing something and i'm like no one is that i don't think anyone actually does that like nope. that that's the dumbest shit and it's still a trope that continues today like the last time i think i saw it was like an arrow or something but yeah yeah it's uh, very true yeah. yeah it's just felicity all just like uh i I'm glad that it didn't do that because that I think that's a make or break like to tell you how serious or the tone of the film is like the quality of the film. Mm -hmm. It just shows it kind of shows you like, oh, this is how deep we're going to get in or like what to expect, because if I see that, then I'm not expecting that serious of a film or uh, they don't think I don't think that they believe the audience will be like, oh, this is like going to be up there for whatever an award or something yeah. like. Yeah. It just shows they don't believe in it that much, I feel like, personally. Or they just don't care. I don't know. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. Like, you want to have, you know, a performance. And you want it to be, if you want to, if that world is giving you a real world vibe, you know, like, you're you're kind of, that's the rules of that universe. You know what I mean? There's nothing goofy about it. It's like, yeah, give us the full 100% authentic, you know, everything about it. Don't, don't, you can't stray away. I think we talked about it with the Spielberg thing. Um, with that film that he had about the guy that was like trying to be a Disney animator and then the, the you know the whole movie's the whole short film is like serious and at the end like you know animated airplane legs come out of the the plane and it ends up saving him like that's I did that you, once <laughs> that breaks the the rules of that story and that universe you've been hyped up and you know then it doesn't yeah. feel believable you know so and this one so much focus was on the intensity of the music and his passion for you know playing that music all of them all of them had that intense passion or else they wouldn't be with you know as good as they were and be where they were um you had to have that type of accuracy and i'm glad spike lee like also realized that and everyone else that worked on it that that they even they poured even more passion into another medium going from acting to music and did it so well yeah and the, the humor they put into it feels very it, it doesn't feel tropey it feels believable yes. which is everything from the kids going complete come out to play and he's like no i gotta do my lessons oh yeah. and then like uh there's that there's just all the the continuation of um conflict to humor where mm -hmm. every single time there is an issue within the band they there's like a serious issue and they talk about it and then it turns into like a ragging like kind of diss time where they're like oh well blah 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 your white girlfriend or you know you, you're short i could beat the shit out of you and all this stuff and everyone's laughing and it feels just like anything else i'm like oh shit it, it reminded me like oh i'm back at on the football team again yeah. or something yeah where exactly. you just talk shit just to talk shit and it's fun it was a very like broy thing you know like that's yeah. that's what felt real about it and that's i think that's i you're right it didn't register with me too because like even in a band i mean there was always the one guy that you just rail on you know and yeah. and in our case i mean every was... i feel like any group of anything you're yeah. gonna have someone where they're like oh there's the omega and mm -hmm. you just go for him um which i think if i'm correctly the omega is like the weakest part of a wolf pack yeah uh, you hear that danny <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding god what are you talking about <laughs> he doesn't listen to this he no, won't he ain't gonna i'm gonna to tell him anyway oh, fuck. <laughs> that's the example i'm gonna rag on him later <laughs> You're horrible, I love it. <laughs> but um i think the only thing that was like it just felt cartoonish but it worked was the whole like you have giant biking 
and then you just see them open the door and he goes whoa and just does like the flip mm-hmm. and instantly i just thought of uncle phil throwing jazz out of the house and fresh prints like that was the first thing that came into my head because that felt it felt like in that vein because that's yeah. such an iconic thing to me that mm-hmm. i always think about it for any type of someone's in the air um so even with that but it felt still like they timed it perfectly and you did feel like oh yeah it's the the collectors coming to do what they need to do uh so like even though it was something cartoonish it fit with the film yeah either and way like especially his just like what you're saying his character in general like it, it was almost called for you know what i mean like yeah you you not only was a good comedic relief but it was you just saw that happening with him and the way god man in the backseat, Samuel Jackson's character in this movie was just too. It's just funny seeing him in smaller roles. I don't want to put a brother know? down, but you know, you got to pay him. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to kill you. You know, I'm going to break your fingers. Um, he and then you know we got to take a moment and talk about Spike Lee for a second. Uh, we there's so much going on, so much greatness in this film. You almost overlook like the hardest working person. I in the movie for sure, but also like, man, maybe in the film industry, when you talk about someone who has written, directed, uh, produced and acted in like 90% of his work, dear. I mean, that's like when you have a Jack Kirby or Frank Miller who is writing and drawing and everything. And like, if they were publishing their own damn stuff, that's all they were missing to match Spike Lee, you know? Spike Lee is an outrageously, like, I don't, he's just underappreciated as, as hell, dude. Like, I, I don't, I think everyone should know about Spike Lee way sooner than everybody knows about Spike Lee. He is, he is a pinnacle filmmaker. His shots for a lot of his, you know, scenes and in this movie and his other films, like, he does things very specifically. And he's from New York. He went to college in New York for film. Um, I want to say NYU or something. So he like, that's the Scorsese type of, you know, if you're going to California to learn filmmaking, you're doing big budget, you know, like James Cameron type of stuff, like Hollywood, you know, but if you're doing like New York type of studying, you're doing films like this, like heavy drama pieces in that sense. And I just, I, I think he just blows me away as a creator. And I, I have so much respect for the guy. No, definitely. And like, uh, this is, I think, his third film that I've seen because I've seen only Black Landsman and Malcolm X before this. And it does easily get me more interested in, interested in his filmography. It's funny. Uh, I, just to check everything out easily. I This is the third film I've seen of him, too, actually. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. Um, since we started talking about Spike Lee in December and everything, I watched uh, She's Gotta Have It, which I found out was his first film, which I saw second. Um, I saw that one of like a few weeks ago and it's interesting for sure. It's, it's his first film. I'm going to say that it's a good film. It's not like the pinnacle of his work or anything, but you could tell where he was going and his style started really coming. It started showing in that film, um, but she's got to have it. It's it, go see it. You know, if you guys are listening and everything, check it out, but uh, do the right thing was the first Spike Lee movie I saw. And I was heavily, heavily considering choosing Do the Right Thing for the podcast because it's still so relevant today. That's I want to say his second or third film. I want to I want to say, but um, or maybe even his fourth. I'm not too sure. But uh, it was before this one. All the films I've seen are before. I'm kind of like leading going through his uh, filmography in a sense unintentionally. But Do the Right Thing is a culturally impactful film. And the way he shot it as young as he was when he shot it and the angles he gets and the purpose behind that film, it ends on a Malcolm X and an MLK quote. Dude, it is. And it ends with, I mean, spoilers with this riot that you watch it. And this was, you know, in the 80s, you're watching this. And here we are 2022 and you turn on the TV and you're still seeing that same type of riot happen over and over and over again. That's, I mean, that's the thing about stories. We tell the same story over and over again because we just can't fucking learn. So we have to keep on telling each other the same story so that we can learn something from the story, you know? Um, and that's just, it's one of those movies. It's, it's timeless, like, because of how 
kind of ignorant we are as a society. It's a timeless film. Um, and it's, it's mind blowing. Like I highly, it's probably one of my top in my top 10 films now, like do the right thing. It's really? Just, yeah, dude, it is. Oh, wow. It's fucking good. Um, but then you watch more better blues and you're like, damn, this is, this is almost better than that. Like from a different perspective, but um, yeah, it's, it's just like an enjoyable, like mm-hmm. just journey of a, a man's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And done so well, you know, um, first, Oh, and oh, another thing I learned, Spike Lee handwrites all of his scripts and I really? couldn't okay. find a copy of the script for this film. I found scripts that just had dialogue on it. Mm-hmm. and that was it it was like 36 pages but it's all the dialogue in the film and i couldn't find like a like a typed out actual script and I'm, I, I know he carries them around in books and like cards and everything but i thought that was kind of mind-blowing just i'm gonna handwrite all my all my movies and from from page one in a notebook and just go from there like that is that is an artist that's insane no for sure and i guess to finish off just talking about him himself like with his character too uh, it's interesting seeing Giant and everything he goes through because he kind of, it's funny because him and Bleak, more or less, everything that happens to them is of their own doing. Yes. And Giant especially because he has a gambling issue. And because of that, like, he's always in debt. He's being hunted by these collectors and they, you know, beat the shit out of him to the point where he has a cane. Yeah. from then on yeah. and the thing was like he is even getting fired by his best friend from being his manager and you know you feel kind of bad but at the same time you really think about it, it's like why would you hire a guy to manage your well-being and money and whatever when he can't even manage his own money mm-hmm. like that's you know that's a red flag right there and yeah. i would never personally you know i wouldn't i'd be like oh i don't want to do this yeah so it's just a whole thing watching him start off with just like oh you know everything's cool to you know i might owe this guy a bit of money to oh you know they i owe him a lot of money to oh my god they're gonna beat the living crap out of me if they find me and i can't go to my house and then they find me in a bathroom mm-hmm. yeah dude that was i think that was one of the funnest parts is just watching the hunt and even like when he walked up to the car and then he he kind of overheard him and he tips his hat and he kind of just he, turns his, around just like his whole character, when you think about it, kind of backtracking uh, is very animated. That was his oh, persona. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why we accepted that toss so openly and freely. And that's just because every scene he was in, he was very animated and like, there's some potential like issue happening with him. Yeah. More or less. And you get every single bit of it, whether it is making bad bets or someone's after him mm-hmm. and does something to him. Yep. Uh, but of course you have then Clark and Indigo, yes, the two leading ladies in this that are both the love interest of Bleak, who is pretty much, you know, seeing both of them simultaneously. And, you know, at first they don't know about each other and then eventually they find out because the one thing we didn't want to happen happens where it's actually hilarious where uh, Giant's like, yo, remember when I told you you shouldn't buy the same dress for these two girls? Because, you know, we were said, what are the odds that they'll wear it in the same day at the same time? One in a million. Guess what? They're both here right now. Going to watch you perform and they're both wearing that dress. Sue me $50. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, he takes out the money. He's like, "Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. And he goes out, attempts to play it off. And the craziest part, too, is like, you know, they're two different, completely different girls. Like uh, Indigo is a school teacher. Yeah. And she uh, is just seems very... I guess kind and has a good sense of humor and everything else. And Clark is a, an aspiring, uh, vocalist. Yes. Like she wants to sing currently shorts in a music store. And, uh, she just, she has her own dream she wants to do, but otherwise, you know, she, they both love bleak and have different personalities. Like, uh, Clark likes to go out and she likes to see him perform. Indigo likes to see him perform in her own place or his place. Like, she doesn't like crowds or anything. Yeah. But they both find out, and they both are fine with it. Because at the same time, he is... You see 
they both understand that they're second to his music and they both know he hasn't said like i love you or anything and they enjoy him at least because he's such a charismatic guy yeah. Yeah. at the same time and when he it's like he notices his music and it comes first but when he notices them he notices them and they love it mm-hmm. uh it's like they're the only thing that can draw his attention away from the music and that's what they yeah. realize yeah yeah. And I've I don't want to say like I mean I've met people like him before. Uh and I do currently I mean I know current people like him where not necessarily his talent but the charisma itself. I know them where uh they could do some dumb shit, some stu- like bad shit and they get away with it because of how charismatic they go they are and you just go, "Well, oh, that's so and so." And you give them a pass because of their charisma whereas if anyone else does it, you know, they'd get excommunicated for that or yeah. the ship being at them or something like mm-hmm. it's a weird thing where the charisma they keep rolling that high charisma it's going to keep getting them off and that happens for him until it doesn't and he stops doing those good charisma checks and eventually you know it's funny you you see that journey of them going like well i know about the other woman but i still want to be with you to more of uh and they're okay with it to an extent until he starts losing it and like we said like you see his pieces crumbling and crumbling bit by bit from the band to his best friend to now them where he's calling them the wrong name yes and ignoring them completely practically where he's not even really there and he like eventually when he finally responds to them it's some like whatever i don't really care like yeah when he snaps back into it what snaps him at what 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 he uses to escape that situation and to avoid that drama is by picking up his trumpet and starting to like. It's all he of, has. It's like a safe place. It's his, it's his safety blanket. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he won't confront stuff. He won't deal with stuff. He just goes straight to his trumpet. And yep. I mean, dude, firsthand, I know like when it comes to like escaping certain things, like picking up my base was always the thing I would do. And it's just like you're so drawn to what it can do in general like musically and what it does for you emotionally like it does become like almost a crutch in that sense where you yes. you can't function without it and you can't um you know when things get tough that's like you're you just you run to it because you don't know how else to deal with things uh and that that, that was i don't know you said that perfectly it's so. kind of it's uh i'd love to point out a uh you know an oscar award-winning movie spider-man homecoming i'm just <laughs> But, you know, it's the whole thing where he's like, I need that, you know, I'm Spider, I'm nothing without Spider-Man or like without the suit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man's like, well, if you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have the suit. And yeah. it's like that kind of thing where he's nothing without his ability to play the trumpet. And when he loses that ability, it's like that thing where it's like, well, then you shouldn't have it. And then that happens and he doesn't have it. And he has to learn like, oh, right, I have to be a human being again. Mm-hmm. And like go through all of that and when we get to that point you know everything has happened pretty much not all at once but it built up very fast like first it was his love interest leaving him even worse so one goes to his like you know name intended his shadow yeah like, yeah you know, literally shadow yeah you're Clark. right yeah that's a good connection and you're totally right it, it causes like a rift between them for a second it's funny because like it shows their relationship where you know shadow is giving him shit all the time because he's like well one we should be paid more two you should let me do what i, I want to do i have ideas but you know you don't want it because your name's on the front and you know it finally happens where he's confronting him and then uh bleak's like well you fucking slept with my girl and they start fighting about it and he's like you know you're out you're fired shortly like literally right after uh he goes to bleak goes to save uh or i guess avenge giant and gets the shit kicked out of him both of them uh you that fight scene at the end is so brutal and raw and like real like you look at Spike Lee at the end of that fight scene, and you're just like, you can't see oh, his face. You, you can't, can't recognize his face. Yeah, no, and you just feel, I would be terrified if I ever got my ass beat like that. Holy shit! Like, well, well it also showed like the bouncers are the two guys stopping everyone from stopping them from yeah. doing that, yeah. which is, in and of itself, like, that that's a big like, what the fuck are you guys yeah. doing? Because that's literally your job. Is the whole thing like. Uh, well, I guess before I get to that, like 
you see that happen and afterwards you know his band comes out and everyone else comes out and they're like oh shit and the first person that gets to him is shadow uh-huh. and he's worried and he's like what the fuck happened we need to get him to a hospital yeah like why'd you guys let this happen all this stuff and it shows he's how much the he one that cares did care yeah like he always cared you know what i mean and everything that happens with them no matter what they all say they still it's like that thing where it's like you know bro like the boys will you know they'll fuck with each other they'll fight all the time things will happen with women but at the end they're you know there's still there's still the boys like yeah. they, they they don't stop and it even shows after even when he gets his own band he still tries to bring him back in to play and then it you know it doesn't work out and he knows it and everyone knows it and he's like well i'm sorry but you do see all of that and you know, it brings in the other issue of the money where, you know, you get John Totero's character as like the club owner and he's like, I have a cousin, you know. Da, 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 da. John Totero is also in uh, um, Do the Right Thing, too. Oh, is and, he? Yeah. And he, he he does a lot of Spike Lee movies. I, I don't know if he's in his first one. I, I kind of recall that he is. But no, yeah, it's funny seeing, you know, it's cool seeing directors work with some of the same actors over and over because you see what they do with those actors and how they can oh, shape yeah. them. And like, it's just, it's one of those those it's instances. fun to always see the relationships you pick a director and you kind of see who's always in the retinue like chris nolan always has like uh uh michael kane yeah in yeah, every movie yeah except for like dunkirk i think but like you know there you see all that stuff repeatedly it's kind of like um, with comic book writers and artists like when you see scott snyder and greg capullo team up you're like oh, oh yeah. yeah you know what i mean and now, like yeah. dude it's like now we have jeff lemire and dustin Nguyen working oh, together yeah. with everything yeah and I'm like, oh shit i didn't i didn't see this coming they're uh-huh. always there yep uh so yeah like the club owners and this whole time they're like well we, we don't renegotiate and it they like their deal and how they keep control of everything also shows like oh this is why giants a you know a bad manager but uh by the end of it you know you're thinking like okay this is a club they're housing them to play there and they get all this money from them from performing but within that you know they should be protecting the people that play there yeah and that's what ends everything is like you guys literally couldn't fulfill your end of the bargain which is you know at least if we're playing here keep us safe because now one of our our main man can't ever play again dude would you Uh, see his lip get busted and that's the thing and it's very well executed because you knew how dire that was because earlier in the movie he's happy he's with a girl clark bites his lip and he gets pissed he's livid and granted it's like an inner lip bite like it's gonna heal in a few hours type of thing but the fact that he got so upset about it and before every performance he does that little dash down his lips he feels his lips with his fingertips before he does things or just in the middle of doing just it throughout the movie, he's doing that little twitch in a sense. Yeah. And that's why you understand the severity of his lip getting busted. That is how fucking Spike Lee is so good. That little moment that you kind of see like, Oh yeah, he's a trumpet player. Of course he's, his lip is going to hurt. Why, but why would he get that mad? You see why and how detrimental that is to him. And... Yeah, because not only does it affect him physically, but it affects him mentally. Yeah. Where now he feels like curt, like basically tabooed, or mm-hmm. just like um, what would you call it? Um, when something gets ruined, like soiled or whatever. Yeah. Like in that sense, so it, it, you definitely feel uh, that when it gets to that point, and um, you kind of like you somewhat have an idea, but you don't realize it at first. Like you understand that he got his ass beat, but it's not said. You're not shown how. Why you? Because you see him in the apartment, and the apartment's disgusting and gross, and he has records all around him. Like the first uh, perception, he said he'd I curl got. up in a corner and die, and that was like pretty much what was happening. Yeah, if no. he didn't have his music, and you kind of made it at first. You know, before we get to the like one of the final scenes when he's in the apartment and looking at the trumpet, it's there, it's waiting for him, but he can't get himself to even pick it up and do anything. Yeah. So I was thinking, like maybe like you don't even know if giant lived or died. You don't know like what happened to his band. It seems like they're just not together. Like you just seem like he's a broken guy. Cause everything broke around him. But then he goes to play with shadow one year later, uh, one year later, which and... giants a doorman, you know, he, he got his gambling <laughs> issues beaten out of him. Yeah. Literally. Like, literally. He's like, Oh, I don't have the tendency anymore. I was <laughs> fucking walking with a stick. <laughs> Poor guy. And you know, when, when bleak gets on stage, you're just like, all right, maybe this is, He's coming back. He's getting out of that funk he was in. And then you hear him play. And to the point where he can't even finish the song, to the point where he can't even. 
he can't even face the audience. He just walks out. And that's when you realize like, oh crap, he, he may have lost everything like friendships and women and his band. But what really tore him up is that he knows he can't play anymore. Yeah. And that's the moment where it just like, that's how long his pain lasts too. You know, it's a year later when he's just like trying to face it and overcome it. And he just can't, he just can't do it. And he has to beg the one woman who like loved him and cared for him. And he screwed over and it was a better choice. Like overall, you know what I mean? For him, like, you know, I guess, you know, you look at life and perspectives and stuff like that stability, I guess that's the better word for it. Stability. And he has to beg her to literally save him. He literally says, I need you to save me. Save me, please. Like, ooh, that's to a point, To a point where when that's happening, that scene, I'm just like watching it. I'm like, yo, Indigo, you don't need to deal with this at the yeah. same time. Like, I'm yeah. like, you shouldn't have to deal with this. Send him on his way and she does it. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? Well, and and, and she, then, she knows it too. At first, yeah. she's just like, no. She's like, like I don't, yeah, I'm not going to fucking do this. And then she feels, you know, she has that pity. She feels bad. And then it turns into like, which is, you know, personally, I'd be like, that is a very unhealthy relationship. Don't yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Uh, so like codependence yeah. fucking, uh, but it somehow works out and you get a full montage after of like, oh, here's happiness where he learns to live outside of things. Yeah. And I, you forget like, oh, they're still very young and they still have so much life ahead. And this is just one little part of his like, this is now that was just the first part of his journey of his life because now the next thing happens, you see them get married. You see his his former band there, Clark and you know Shadow are going out at this point because mm-hmm. he made true on his promise. He's like, I can, I'm gonna make you sing, and they become yeah. a whole thing. Um, I will there, say, there are giants there. When uh, yeah. Clark is just like, well, you know, I was hoping you would get me into the music industry, and Bleak is just like, hey, you know what we got going on is good, but you got to work for it if you want to get yeah. here. And I've like never related to a character so much <laughs> before in my life. Yeah, I am one of those she's people. Like, he said she started it like a year ago. And he's yeah. like, yo, I've been doing this my whole life. And you're just right now jumping, trying to jump in. Yeah. And but, I, you know, yeah. as someone who does, you know, I play music. I I have, we have two, I, we both have two podcasts, you know, and other shows. And I'm a writer and I do all sorts of stuff. And like even my personal life, like I've worked hard to get where I'm at. And when people just try to jump right into it, it's like, no, like I have years of like hard work behind me, behind the scenes of trying and internships and freelancing, yeah. all that type of stuff to get where I'm at. Like it, it takes a lot of work to, to, you know, get somewhere and you can't just freeload off of stuff like that. And I respected the hell out of that scene. Um, you know, granted you got to give someone a break, you know, you always want to, kind of be that person to help someone out yeah but you you know understanding like hey like if you're passionate you're gonna do it no matter what and i'm just like helping you at that point but like you got to prove you're passionate about it first like he is you know like like his type of passion yeah yeah and you know we we see like the whole at least all the friendships endured and everyone's still like when the wedding is like kind of the showing of like hey everyone's still good with each other mm-hmm. which i was very happy about but then you get like oh they bleak and indigo have a kid and it kind of it you see all the process repeat itself where he is now the kids his priority and everything else and he has a life to live again which is great yeah and then you see them like oh here's the here's the trump here's the uh trumpet and this is how you play it and he teaches the kid and to the point where even indigo now is like you need to learn your lessons like i mean you have to mm-hmm. l- like you can't do anything until you finish your lesson of playing for the day and stuff and it's the same exact thing except of course the fashion's updated you got the kids with yeah. those vibrant beautiful i love those jackets but they're did, like did you notice that those same because i kids from the beginning of the movie too yeah yeah <laughs> hey can he come out and play no ah <laughs> And you're like, oh, yes. And you feel that. And I was so worried because, like, that was the whole point was the beginning of that film. Those kids ask, can he come out and play? And, you know, he's been probably practicing a majority of the day. And his mom's like, no, you got to keep you got to keep doing this thing. And the, the dad's like, oh, come on, let him go play some ball and stuff. And the dad's more like let loose, which you, I was very happy. You see the dad more yeah. where he's like, I'm a grandfather. Yeah, 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 um, exactly. Yeah. It was great. That was so good. Um but you also see him like when they talk in the hospital, uh, he's talking more about that too and everything. But uh, that whole thing of like his mom more so mainly, but like his parents together 
are what made him into what he was with the music where they focus made him focus on it so much so more than just being a kid having a life as a kid that made things happen in the future where having a life came second as an adult same thing to his music because of what his parents conditioned into him and you kind of get that at the very end and i'm so worried because you get the same thing even indigo's like you know do the lessons just like his mom did hmm. which is kind of freaky because i'm like i thought you learned already yeah, indigo. yeah yeah and uh you know he has that moment and you're like oh shit he's gonna do that thing where the dad's gonna be like well it, it fucked me up so you're gonna you know succeed where i fail so i can feel like i succeed but he yep. doesn't he goes no I'll let him be a kid and let him go play for a bit He'll do his lessons and, later. Like he's just yeah. Like, he learned his lesson, which was so good to see that there is like a. It's not history repeating itself. Just like you know why people should read up on history because yeah. it helps you avoid these things. And he does it. Yeah. And yeah. that was a very good like little tie of the knot at the end. And I really appreciated that they do that because it gives you a, a nice happy ending. Because even though you get a very happy montage, if it ended with that like. Yeah, you got to keep doing it. Listen to your mom. What was we learned? Know exactly what would have happened after, and you would because it wouldn't end happy. You'd know exactly like, oh no, it's gonna happen again. Well, and instead, you you're given like a no. This kid's gonna have balance. This kid's gonna learn to live, and everyone kind of comes out of it good. And the cool part about it, you know, what I what I admired is that I think I've said it on the show before too is that I feel like stories serve as survival information. And they that's you know, you're telling you ways, like you're saying, you know, learning your history, it's telling you how to avoid certain things. You have to learn this to learn the outcome <laughs> and see what you do the same or see what you do uh, differently. And in this case, very much, it was bleak realizing that his whole entire life that was it's it's applying to his child's life now. It's survival yeah. information. He's like, if I want my kid to wind up like how I wound up, I can can go down this path or, I could learn from what I went through and give him his own option. Yeah. And that's the survival information right there too. You know, like it's just, it's awesome. It's one of the most well-crafted films I feel like we've seen. And it has so many highs and lows and, and, you know, emotionally. And it just, it all comes back together in a circle. And I, I really tried to think of flaws and stuff I didn't like and things like that. And I, I really can't think of anything enough to put it into like words and complain about it. Very much so. And uh, that's pretty much everything. I, I just like, I have two little last little notes really that I had, which one was uh, uh, the Universal intro when it shows Universal's logo come up and it's just them like... <laughs> Dude, that's in I the script like, oh. too. That is in the script. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that, I love that. And it's just it shows right after a Spike Lee joint, and you're like, ah, oh, yes, of course. And then, um, you know, throughout it with the whole baseball cons- thing, uh, I love that Bleak is a New York Giants fan before they come to San Francisco. So I yeah. got to see like the old jersey, <laughs> the old uh, freaking hat, and I was loving that. I was like, oh my god, this is great. Uh, just seeing like dudes in New York still Giants fans. It's not even the Yankees. I was like, that's what I like to see there. Very nice, very nice. Uh, so that was that was an enjoying thing to see as well. But yeah, that's Mo Beta Blues. And next time, uh, which very soon we'll have probably next week, if not a week after. Yeah. Uh, it might dip into February. We'll see. But we'll have Malcolm X uh, for sure. We'll be able to catch up in February too. So like. Yeah. All the stuff from February, which will be James Bond stuff, will be in February for sure. And then, you know, so on from there, we'll be back on normal schedule. But And we'll be, we're starting yeah. off with Goldfinger, I think, in February, right? Yes, yeah, Goldfinger. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. My books are coming uh, in Thursday, so I'll start reading Oh, those. boy. Yeah, you got, you got your work cut out for you, boy. But, yeah, we're doing we're doing Malcolm X next. And, yeah. man, I am I'm very curious. I'm very hyped. This is... And I didn't. We didn't choose these movies knowing that these were Denzel's like first roles with Spike Lee. That was very coincidental. Yeah. Like I found that out before the show right now, and I'm even more excited to see like what the next step is. Because I will say I found out that Denzel stopped all of his projects a year prior to filming because he wanted to get into the role so well. And you've yeah. seen it. I haven't seen it. I'm I need to... some reminders. It's been a while, so I, I, I remember certain little tidbits. I have like Malcolm X's autobiography. I have this book that Spike Lee released that I think has his speeches and everything from the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully that'll be coming in soon before we record. But I, I'm 
very excited for the research process and the history lesson behind a lot of this. And I've seen kind of some of the scenes, the way they filmed it. And I'm just so entranced and I'm so yeah. excited, especially after dude, she's got to have it. It's probably my least favorite Spike Lee film I've seen so far. Um, but it's a unique kind of good love story. It's very different. Like it's just, it's for just, sure. yeah, it's just different. Um, but I mean, I am just mind blown by this guy and I think he's going to become an obsession because damn, he's just hitting yeah. it out of the park. There's so many things to watch in this world, man. Yeah, no. It's crazy. Yeah. But that said, Brandon, where can people find you? you know, check out Apollo City Comics on all podcast platforms on YouTube. Uh, we also took a little hiatus for a bit and the show will be back in February. We have a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, it's our... Uh, do I think we're doing we're doing Black Science, we're doing Silver Surfer Black, we have Batman Mask of the Phantasm commentaries, Punisher commentaries um, we're going to be catching up with Coffee and a Comic soon and we have our friend Ryan from uh, um, why am I spacing out his podcast name right now I'm going to put a link to this, our friend For Ryan sure. does a Thor podcast that we team up uh, you guys see it on the post, go follow our Instagram uh, Across the Bifrost, there you go oh, and nice. um Man, we have a bunch of cool content waiting to come out for you guys. We got some cool stuff cooking. For sure. And of course, uh, you're already on the Sutra Side Talk channel. Uh, you can, of course, check us out. Uh, subscribe, listen to Sutra Side Talk. Uh, Cut a steal and up to a down Twitter. Still on hiatus, but we will be back soon enough. I'll let you guys know when that is returning. Uh, you can, of course, subscribe on any platform uh, for the podcast. But if it's, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, five-star review would help. Spotify, you can also rate us there. And if it's YouTube, uh, you can uh, like and subscribe. I'm, I fucking hate saying that. Uh, and then, of course, follow on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sutra Side Talk. TikTok, we're also on hiatus from just for a little bit, too. Uh, and you can follow me at GoGoComzilla. But uh, we will catch you guys next time with Malcolm X. See you later. Thanks for hanging. <laughs>